Hello and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast with me, Sanderson Jones. Ah, this is a place for you to relax, unwind and to think about the big questions in life. It's a place that you can just have a nice deep breath, go and contemplate the things which make us human. And that's what Lifefulness is all about. What we do is we look to the congregation, the church, you know, the spiritual community and ask, how can you have all of the benefits of that, but in the way that anyone can take part? So whether you are totally not religious, uh, like I am, or you are totally very religious, like you might be, uh, we're still talking about the same things, what it takes to be human, how can you have a spiritual life in a secular world, and today we have an awesome guest, his name is Rich Say Watkins, uh, no it's just Rich Watkins, but we like to have fun, and uh, he is a guy that I listen to when uh, I've got an issue, because I often ring him up when I've got an issue, and uh, he is a real spiritual adventurer and he's not like a professional idea haver. He is not, you know, a sort of author or... I mean, though he does have ideas and he does write. Actually, I take that back. He's a published poet. But like this area here, this is really like a private concern for him. And that's the reason that I wanted to chat because, you know, he's really going out and doing it and in this case I wanted to talk to him because he was involved in a church but then decided that it really wasn't for him he thought what would it look like if you built community without dogma without hierarchy got there in the end and yeah and so that's one thing we go and look at like it's a really it's someone who is doing community not as part of their job but really committing to it really putting the effort into making it happen and I love this conversation as we're going to reveal uh, halfway through uh, our chat it, it was actually a second run up at it because you know it's like really personal stuff which you know it's not part of his professional identity it's not part of his um, I'm out here talking about this stuff which is again one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him so you're going to go and hear about like new types of community you know what it means to be mystical uh, how that can apply to people in all different types what processes you can take from religion and it's just exactly the conversation that i want to have on the life on this podcast so please go and enjoy before you get there just let it be known that, that we're not just a podcast we're a community what we do is uh, we gather people online uh, and then we have these discussion groups which are based around the topics on this podcast so let's say you've heard something in this you're like oh my god i'd never get to talk about that well you can do it in the lifefulness community so without any further ado or a don't here is rich watkins Well, hello, listener, and a hello, interviewee, Rich Watkins. How's it going today? Yes, good. Nice, bright morning. <laughs> nice, bright morning. Uh, you've got, how was your sleep? You've got a little kiddle. Yeah, it was It was better than most nights tonight. So she's um, 10 months old, full of life in the day and sometimes full of life at night, which is less fun. <laughs> less fun. And so just in case you think we're just going to be new dads talking about hashtag dad life. That is not what's happening. So Rich is uh, someone who I ring up often for advice on uh, 
the Lifefulness Project because you work in the business environment. Uh, work in the business environment, what a weird way of putting it, but you've got a company called Let's Go, which helps uh, uh, companies and people collaborate better and to create more human yeah. uh, work environments. But then, and this is where our worlds really align, you have been a real sort of spiritual adventurer, both in your own personal life, but then you created a fascinating post-church community called Borough Common, which was really exploring what does it look like when people want to get together to explore the big questions in life in a non-traditional community. And so there's so much that we're going to dig into today, uh, particularly around, you know, like how can people get the benefits of a spiritual community if they're not part of a congregation in its traditional format. But uh, we're going to start off with a question we ask everyone every time, and that is, what was the spiritual, religious or philosophical background to your childhood? So I grew up in a tiny village in rural Essex. On the edge of that village, literally, but at the centre of that village, metaphorically, was a small Anglican church. And my parents were very involved in that church. And so I was very involved in that church. I was kind of born into this experience of being thrown together with lots of other people from the village. And it was it was one of those churches that, that kind of really took a role at the center of the community. So for example, the annual pantomime was, uh, was kind of put on by people in the church. The, um, there was the youth group uh that had its own building on the farm of one of the people that lived on the outskirts of the village that was attached to the church sort of a church youth group but it was a very it kind of became a bit of a sort of central place for a lot of people in that village and i guess so my experience was this i guess a, what you could say a fairly classic christian upbringing um surrounded by lots of other messy kids being mucky with lots of families lots of away days to the beach lots of um uh lots of community life and i think that really in a way that's like very deep in my bones that experience of um of being with with cross-generational relationships and uh in in a kind of welcoming open space i mean my wife uh had growing up she was uh ended up really being in a church. Her parents didn't go to church. She wasn't, I think she sort of called herself Christian, but then it was basically, she needed a place to be. And she ended up going to these church groups and to, like there were some parents who were like your parents who organized and put it on. And that was her safe haven. It is just amazing. Like what can happen if you go and like are able to provide that safe place for children who don't really have safety and support in other parts of their lives in the in the same way in case you're listening Imogen's parents you did a great job don't worry I'm not saying it was just a bit complicated at times wasn't it I don't want to not throwing anyone under the bus here but she really liked that church yeah and and adults as well right like I think I think um it was a there was a there was a kind of home for um people who didn't quite fit into society on the edge of the village because of their um, development. A lot of those people would kind of, we would, there would be someone in the church who would bus over, pick them up, bring them back. And they would kind of come, enjoy the singing, kind of, you know, explore, you know, explore religion as it related to them and where they were at. I guess that's the bit that's sort of super interesting. It's like, 
all of those formats and all of those things that are happening, like don't happen that many places. And I think that is one of the beauties of, and I, I think, you know, I'm not here to say there's no complications or difficulties with Christian church, because clearly there has been through the history and all sorts of damage done uh, in the name uh, in, in the name of the church. But there's also, there is also this side that doesn't often get spoken about so much, which actually can be really nourishing for humans. And in a way, one of the questions I think is interesting is how do we access that? Maybe if, you know, if for the people that don't want to join a church, what, what, how can they access that? And that's, I guess, one of the things that we've talked about for the last 10 years. Yeah. And, and that's what this uh, podcast is about. And because I get speak to people who are interested in something like church, but without the religious part, I know there's loads of people that question is really alive to like they are seeking that. And uh, so it'd be great that our question number two, drrr, official question number two, drum roll is like, what would be one great uh, aspect of religious or congregational life that you think the secular world would benefit from? One of the things I think about community, right, is when you're connected to a community, it's kind of interesting and different from being connected to a friend so when you're connected to a friend you need to do the work of maintaining the friendship and when you're connected to a community in a way the thing that you're connected to isn't necessarily the individual people but their sort of collective entity or the collective group and i think that's actually it's actually it offers some problems because you can be part of a group and not feel like you have a close friend but it offers other kinds of benefits. Like you can be more connected to people without feeling the need to turn up at their house every day or feeling the need to call them if you don't see them for two weeks, you know, because you're connected together, you're kind of both attending a thing. And so there's a kind of looser relationship, but I think that sort of attendance at things and realizing that your commitment to the group, to do that, you need enough people who just turn up enough. And so I think there's something about the muscle or the, the habit or the uh, commitment to turning up at a thing enough to make it work. And it, that is absolutely there in churches in spades, but it's also there in things like Parkrun, where a lot of the people that make Parkrun, Parkrun, you couldn't just dabble with Parkrun unless there was a group of people who were like, I am betting my life on Parkrun in Camberwell. And I am turning up every week, rain or shine, and I will wear the little vest to tell people where to go. And I won't run on some weeks because I'm there for the community. And I think this kind of this kind of muscle, you know, it's not not there outside of church, but I think it is really there in churches. And I think that that is a really little considered part is that one thing that churches have is people who are trained to be in community. I found that Sunday assemblies in the US, there were people who were just better at it because they had this sort of community muscle, this community discipline that you turn up, you do this, you or else you someone turns up and you uh, they've never been there before. You're going to go and say hello. All of these uh, you know different skills uh, uh, which are there. I've read this great line in a by Tanya Lerman book which i've referenced so many times on this podcast when she calls them spiritual athletes and it's maybe some community athletes like it's these people who have really developed this skill set and that's like what we because dear reader uh, slash listener we're this is a re-record of a conversation that we did because we were exploring a lot of these ideas which we've spoken about in private 
for the first time. And then it was just, we didn't get to the richness that we sometimes have in our own conversations. It was a bit meandering. So we wanted to like do it again. The reason I wanted to speak to you is that you you're in your own life and development, like you have sort of gone into different types of community, then gone out, then really thought about how you can reimagine it. So I'd love it if you could just sort of carry on your story from uh, when you're sort of part of this sort of church in Essex and then uh, your various ad other adventures in community, which are really fascinating. Yeah, so there's there's probably a few threads. One is, is that we could carry on the church thread. And I basically had really profound... So I left at 16, so I left home at 16. I'm a bit of an explorer and I was, I went to get an, a, do an apprenticeship in Surrey. So the other side of the M25, literally like the opposite side there. I was like, Oh, I'm a bit lonely because I'm 16 and I live on my own. And, and I was like, well, what do I know? So I phoned around some churches and saw if there were any youth groups. And then I kind of got involved in one and it was one, which was a bit more intense about it. It was something in them, but it was a bit different from what I was familiar with. Anyway. So I kind of really pursued this more charismatic Christianity for, I guess people don't know more, I guess you'd call it maybe more happy clappy or, but it's, it's really about, let's just say this. I had some incredibly profound mystical experiences where I felt like I was completely connected to the divine, that those are quite intoxicating experiences. And so hard to put into words. Like if you, yeah. ha if you haven't experienced it, I find that when I speak about life, I'm like, life is, and then I'm just trying to like convey this sense of emotional connection that you can get when you really connect to being alive. And then other people are like, yeah, life's great. And you're like, no, but life is great. And it is this different like connection to God if, or the divine or whatever it is. Right. And, and, you know, I think I'm less attached to what words we use to describe these things. Right. So, um, so whether it's, you know, people might want to use the word God or people might want to use the word universe or might want to use the word divine or, or anything. And I don't feel particularly attached to even, which is maybe a bit controversial, even the beliefs that people hold about those things. Or, or I guess I have seen, so my job for a long time was as an ethnographer. So I was just sitting in their house talking to them about stuff and normally talking about them stuff so I could design stuff for them. So I was a design thinker or innovation consultant and that's took me all around the world talking to people and so I've just talked to a lot of people about the things that really matter to them and that's like one thread um but but I was so I was very involved in kind of churches and then I got involved in starting churches and also starting churches that were a bit different so I was part of a church in Reading that was a Church of England church that was working in a slightly different way to kind of almost like reimagine what it meant to be a church for young people. And so and I'm just going to dive into that. Is that like, what did that involve? Like you were doing your normal day job and then you were set alongside, you're like, I'm going to be in Reading and we're going to do this new community activity, which is going to answer uh, this problem, which is in other churches around youth. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, it just looks like, I mean, the, to be honest, it looks like, doing a lot of evenings and weekends and orientating attention. If you take your social life and you orient, the thing is like, I can, I look at this now and some of it I see as dysfunction. I see as it as me not quite knowing how to place, not quite knowing my place and finding a real sense of place in the church, but probably too much, too much of myself. And I think this is one of the dangers that churches and religious institutions have, which is they can kind of absorb too much of yourself and you can give, 
slightly too much to them. And, and you do see a lot of churches burn, people in churches burn out because of this, because they give an awful lot to a community. I think there's a, probably a limit, but yeah, so it was lots of that. And then eventually kind of, I started to explore a bit wider than just Christian traditions or Christian practices and started to make friends who had different cultural experiences. And I guess then just, then, you know, I had this insight, which is some of the feelings and experiences that you have in a Christian context, in a charismatic Christian context, which are incredibly intense. And you feel like, oh my goodness, if anyone else experienced this, they would know that this is the only way. Mm. Like you literally have that kind of experience. And then you start <laughs> talking to them. And then they're like, oh yeah. And you know, like if you talk to the Sufis um, and about their mystical experiences in a kind of Islamic context, like they're, they will tell you exactly the same thing. And I got interested in the mystics, Christian mystics, who again had these kind of mystical experiences. And then you start, then it's not a big leap then to leap, to read other mystics and, or to, or to read the mystics and find out that they don't quite follow all the rules sometimes. So like the Quakers came out of the Christian church, but actually come with a very different idea about what, what it was to be alive in the world and really focused on community and the personal sense that you get um, uh, of, of in a way the inner light that you have. And so they became much less dogmatic. And so I guess I just started to question all of this stuff. And, you know, there's, there's a big, there's a kind of long and uncomfortable version of that, which we sort of started to roam around in the first recording, <laughs> uh, which maybe was really useful for me, but not necessarily for listeners. There were a lot of pauses in that first conversation. I, I was really thinking like... I was just going into some difficult stuff. <laughs> um, but... But I think that the, the truth is like where I sort of settled down is that I, I think, I, I just really think that, that humans have the capacity to explore what's good for them. And so that what the Borough Common became, which was again, not me doing it, it was a group of seven of us who, who kind of initiated it and really more like a group of 15 who started it. And that was saying, could we create a community that didn't have, that, that was a bit like a church because we, some of, uh, most of us had come from that place a bit like a church, but if we took out dogma and just said, let's not worry too much about who's right and who's wrong about these abstract ideas about, you know, about God. And instead, let's say everyone can believe what they want. And that means you can be a really committed, orthodox, classic Christian, and you can be someone who doesn't really believe things anymore or feels like they would are just about to leave ch church because it didn't kind of make sense for them. Or you can be someone from a different religious tradition and you can just dive in and, and kind of play with this. So if we took dogma out, what would it look like? And if we took, and the other problem that you have, which again, we talked about the blessings of uh, spiritual communities. And one of the unblessings of spiritual communities is power and domination of leaders, right? Like disproportionately, and then sometimes, you know, sometimes that's benign and often that's benign. And sometimes it does a bit of damage to people. And, and I think, so we tried to say, well, could we take out the hierarchical element of a of a community could we say this is something that is common that everyone kind of holds and everyone works with now the kind of there's a long and a short answer to that which is after we've been doing it like 12 years and i think what you do need is some central energy you need some central force um, and also if you create the community like we created you're holding it to be a certain size because it can't grow to it can't grow beyond the scale so we even like when we were meeting every week and it was really alive, it was like 25 people. Um, 
but probably for most of its life it's been 12 to 15 people um so it's it's kind of a yeah it's a different it, it by committing to not having hierarchical structures in it you you also well we found that we restricted its it didn't grow but again maybe we didn't need it to and so just gonna sort of put like for the listener the this is in your journey you went to uh, you, you just got involved in starting churches, then went and looked into these other sort of traditions, and then you went and actually created something which is a like a really new arresting way of doing community, and that is Borough Common. And so, just so the listeners are all uh, up to yeah, speed follow the, and uh, follow, the follow the threads, and yeah, that's really interesting. The lack of dogma and the lack of hierarchy. Were there any specific instances like for you or the people that you were with, which made you like, like come up with those things? Like, you know, the wanting to steer clear? Yeah, um, well, a bit as in everyone, I think, you know, everyone who's been in uh, intense religious experiences of any sort knows that there's some, there's some dangers, there's some, some dangerous waters in there as well. Um, uh, I mean, it, we just were chatting about what would be fun and what would we do and so it just felt fun we were like in our mid-20s and we had some energy and we thought this will be fun and we wanted to we wanted to meet together I mean maybe it's just worth giving some of the so sort of maybe this is what the conversation is about to some degree it's like if you take out beliefs right and you say that's not the main thing around which you gather like everyone has beliefs but if it's not the main thing around which you gather and you take out um, hierarchy, you need to think, well, what are you, what is it? And, and I would say you, what we created is something that gathers around processes. That is, you follow certain kinds of processes. So every like 10 weeks or so, we um, would create something more like a facilitated conversation. Say, what do we want to cover over the next 10 weeks? And then who's going to do that? And then people would split into groups and then they would basically then take full ownership for delivering an event uh, that might be meditative, it might be a discussion, it might be a meal together, and they would just like take ownership to deliver that for the rest of the group. And so that's basically the processes we followed. And then every, I think every six months we would, that was called open planning. And then every six months we would do a thing called deep planning, which we sort of invented because we felt like it was needed at some point. <laughs> and that we, was we basically- Open planning's going okay. Well, we need to say it's planning, but it's a bit longer deep planning. Profound planning? Were there any other things on the list which were like, no, that doesn't work or did, uh, was a while back? It's a while back, but then, but basically then that's to say, how's it going over the last six months? Like in a way, retrospective. And what's kind of interesting is some of these processes come from design thinking or design thinking type approaches, which is what I was busy doing in my work. Now it's not that, you know, and lots of other people were doing similar kind of stuff. So it's definitely, it's just the thing that I was part of rather than a thing that I did, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think that, I guess I then got super, maybe with my head of like, so doing design thinking innovation work is a lot of trying to create new services. So like, I don't know, I spent ages trying to figure out how Sainsbury's could make their self-pay system, you know, those scanners that you scan your own shopping, how they could make that work better, right? So this is where you're looking at an experience and you're kind of breaking it down into its little bits and then you're coming up with different ideas or ways of doing it. So to do that, you need to really understand what's going on at the moment. And I guess I took that mindset or approach and started to look at the great 
and wonderful and challenging bits about religion and religious experience. And I guess it's slightly separate from the Barakoman as a, like that's like a in, in like one thread. And there's another thread, which is just looking at these things and going, if you break off these bits and I call them social processes, then there are a lot of things that you get in religion that people are now looking to other places to get. So for example, like confession is a thing that's really classically there in religion, right? You sit in front of someone and you tell them something that maybe you find difficult or you've got some shame about, or you've got some sense of regret for maybe how you treated someone or, or whatever. Sorry, I'm laughing. Have you seen that, uh, the Beavis and Butthead where he goes and he does confession? No, I have not. Oh, it's absolutely great. I don't know if it's Beavis or Butthead goes in and the guy is just like, I have committed adultery. And Beavis is like, cool. Did you <laughs> touch her boobies? I guess, you know, what should I do? Punch yourself in the head. Punch yourself in. It's very good. Uh, uh, all in all. And that's what you want to recreate, that sort of feeling and vibe. The Beavis and Butthead vibe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's something nourishing about telling someone and having them look at you kindly and say, you know, there's a way for you. There's a there's a path that you it's totally we can there's a redemption possible. And that human process of sitting with a human and doing that, I don't really mean necessarily because I've never been part of like formalized confession. I'm talking more like talking with a friend or a peer or, or maybe an elder or someone who's a bit older than you. And that we've recreated it in therapy. Like that's one of the things that happens in a therapeutic relationship. You get to say, I, I don't know, I talk about myself, I'm finding this difficult in my life and I'm finding myself angry in these ways or lashing out in these ways. And I don't feel good about that. I don't, that's not who I want to be. But then the therapist sits with you and works away. So in a way there's something that is baked into the structure of this big thing called religion, but you can also break off the bit and go, well, where else do we get that? And I think there are other bits that we haven't done a good job of breaking off. Uh, often when sort of speaking about lifefulness of, okay, what we want to do is we want to go and make the, uh, take the best processes of church and then put them together in a way which is totally secular, is that church is just so many different things. The spiritual community is, it's like, oh, well, then you've got your marriage group. You've also got a, a, a kid's school on a Sunday. You also do personal development work. You also run a Frisbee club. You also like the different activities which happen in a church. And then, and that's not even the spiritual ones. That's not even the high days, the holidays, the, oh, and then there's also marriages, the marriages. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, oh, oh yeah. Also you bury people. And then you do this amazing show on a Sunday, which should be interesting, entertaining, and maybe give people a profound spiritual experience which puts them in touch with the divine. Also, you've got to go and make sure you've got an on-point Instagram. Like the different things which happen are insane. And I, I also think there's a bit of a problem sometimes though, or something is lost in the splitting off and unbundling. One of the people that we've had on the podcast, Casper to Kyle and Angie Thurston and the Sacred Design Lab, they speak about this process of unbundling, but I think it's the fact that you're going to go and volunteer with someone that you're also in a small group with and someone who has also gone and knows a bit about uh, what's going on in your life and you've gone and had a drink with them at another event and you also know someone else they know that the the vertically integrated nature of it what an awful sentence is part of it yeah and also yeah i completely agree and because i think of community as like the it's the ground on which friendship can grow 
like because you're having these sort of lighter contacts around different kinds of things and then that allows genuine genuine deep lifelong friendships to blossom that's because you're doing all this stuff with the same group and you're also not paying for every bit right so you're only you know and you're so that means you're getting bit like you're because i think yeah you can you the breaking it down into these little elements you know like pilgrimage or whatever it is i mean in a way we we kind of like i guess i go back to my experience as a kid and talk about village life you know there's the african proverb it takes a village to raise a child and it probably takes a village to maintain the mental health of parents and so it takes a village to to live life well and what in a way what um religion has been at its best is a way to, to be coherent about how do you hold villages together now I would say, again, it's definitely not just religions do that. I think schools do a really good job of holding villages together. And harvesting crops. That's a great way of holding a village together. If you've all got to harvest, like there's a, uh, who was I speaking to? It was uh, Ruth, who was a community organizer in Sunday Assembly London. She came from a really small farming village in Scotland and said that there was never any community quite like that. It's, oh, there is a, you know, there's a fire in the hay barn. I don't know if it's exactly that, but it is those sorts of things. You've got to go now. We've got to, it's going to hail tomorrow. We've got to get all the crops in. And you know what? It doesn't matter if that guy's a dickhead, but you're going to go and help him. That there's, you know, it's not only that churches do this, but that they are like one of the components which enable this sort of community life to go and flourish. Yeah, it's, an, it's a part, like it's a part of village life. Yeah. And, and it, I guess, you know, there's also a difference between living in a city like London and living in a more rural or more contained area. So it's not just the crops, but also you're bumping into people in the shops and those kinds of things. Like it's difficult to bump into people in the shops in London unless you really hang around the same shop all the time. And that's I mean, frowned upon sometimes. <laughs> so, But then it's kind <laughs> of interesting because lockdown has kind of localized us a bit. The thing is, that I guess is that we sort of start talking about religion and obviously that's like interesting to me and I, you know, it's part of my history and all of that. But also we're talking about just humans gathering and how do, you know, sometimes I think of humans like watching some people and you're just like, these are just little animals just moving around and their little heads are moving just like you would see a little group of animals moving and they're gathering and they're collecting their food from Subway and they're feeding themselves and stroking each other and all of these kind of things and it, there's something very um I had this thing I just started doing it a couple of years ago and I was like there is something very just very natural about little animals huddling together to do things and I feel like it's quite sweet in a way and you know I'm not saying that like those other animals are not me I'm like I'm that's me I'm just like a bit hungry a bit lonely like I want someone to you know tickle my belly like whatever it is and I think that in a way we're saying well how do we we're asking a very simple question, which is how do we do that well in a modern world? I think that, I think it's not because, you know, some of the things that you get in a really good spiritual community or, or community of any sort is like you get touched in a nice yeah. way. Like yeah. you get a hug or you get your mm. shoulder. So like there's a, you know, a 55 year old man puts his hand on your shoulder and you're like, oh, that feels nice. And and that, like this is. And clearly there's lots of stories of 55 year old men putting hands on people's shoulders that doesn't feel nice. And so this is true. And there's something really wonderful about human touch and touching each other, like go to Italy, go to a different part of the world and you see this more. And so we're kind of looking for 
how do we contain or how do we, yeah, what are the containers we've got for good contact with other humans? Like one of the things you get of part of a club or a group or a church, but not just uh, religious ones, is you get this kind of default affection. You kind of know if you're part of my gang, like if you go to the same boating club or if you go into the same pub as me, I can be affectionate towards you by default without having to worry about anything because it's kind of contained and I don't have to, I'm not saying I'm now going to become your best friend. I'm saying you're at the boat club. I'm at the boat club. Hey. And there's a real warmth. Anyway, I can't, help, can't, but, I can't help but imagine that as a some sort of uh, message which gets you kicked out of the boat club that you send to a new member. <laughs> I'm at the boat club. You're at the boat club. Let's go yachting. Let's go boating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I guess that's, but you know, the, but those, I guess, you know, talking about um, coupling up, that, that also can blossom in communities in a way that it's harder to blossom on the street, right? For obvious reasons. Like you, you kind of, you, you, community does this thing where you can get closer to someone and you can get further away from someone at your choice with consent in a way that is less dramatic and that requires less like dramatic declarations. Like if you know you're gonna see someone every Sunday, you don't have to make a massive fuss about, we must go for coffee now. Whereas if you see someone, you know, if you see someone just once and you're trying to be, you're wondering about a romantic connection, you need to act now or abandon all hope. Yeah, you and don't, so you that can't creates just, a kind of intensity. You can't just get, oh, so you're going on, uh, oh, you're getting involved in the, uh... The baking, you know what? I've always wanted to learn how to bake slash I love baking, whatever it might be, we can go and do this thing together. And it's quite funny you mentioned that. It was just on, when was it? Uh, yesterday that I saw that uh, two members of the Sunday Assembly Band had got married and uh, I was messaging with someone else who got married through Sunday. There's, there's a load of people who've got married because of, and I hadn't thought of it like that. You are in a because the other sort of place where you could be in that non-romantic friendly context is work and that's just a i was just about to say that more yeah. it's a lot more complicated particularly it, today it, it kind of is and also i worked well i yes but then if i look at where i was working for 10 years at an agency called what if which is a sort of fairly known as a it had a certain kind of energy to it. It was a certain kind of- um... <laughs> It makes it sound like it's a swingers club there. <laughs> no, no, I just mean it was very, it was, it, it's, it's sort of mission was bringing a more human approach to innovation and just it attracted, it attracted people who were just very friendly. Like it was a lot of, we'd go out a lot together. We'd be in these really intense projects and um, they would often be involved travel. So we would be away. So in a way there was a kind of friendship and a kinship. And in fact, still the people that I'm most in contact with professionally are all people from that time of life. We were thrown into all sorts of situations and it just created this incredible bond. And, and then I look around at those people and loads of them got married. Because again, it's, it's, it's a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a company that was a proper community that really did something. And, and again, I guess the thing about community is maybe it's impossible to have community without there sometimes being difficult or complex things that you need to navigate in that. And that is like, I think, uh, in a way, that's the, that's one of the things I think if we're talking about how do you make a community work, you absolutely need a home for some kind of healing or reconciliation or forgiveness. And without that, you really, you've, it's very difficult to, I think, to build anything 
that's a community and that includes uh, the boat club right that the you you need then well you either say there's reconciliation there needs to be some sort of reconciliation and there probably needs to be some sort of hard line at some point that says reconciliation isn't possible and those are the two you know that's probably two things that a community needs and that's where you go and circling back to that question of hierarchy uh, if there's going to be conflict resolution there will have to be some arbiter if there is an arbiter, whether that that might be uh, elected from the non-hierarchical community, but it'll probably mean there has to be a committee, there has to be some rules, there has to be some lines which say, this is okay, this isn't okay. And what's quite interesting, there has to be some lines to say, this is okay, and this isn't okay, to avoid the toxic parts of community that you have, that we've referenced, of like whether it might be sort of abusive whether it might be sort of creepy people in there and so it is like a really hard square to circle yeah there's a there's a wonderful essay by a, a, a feminist writer called joe freeman called the tyranny of structurelessness and she basically says that and, and she's talking about the the women's movement i think it, the women's movement in the 60s and 70s and she basically says when it was it first arrived it was essentially a therapeutic movement it was like let's gather together and share stories of how difficult it's been in this patriarchal society to get by or what are the things that have happened to us and those kind of things and in that sense it was completely structureless and then it became a political movement in which we 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 went beyond the therapeutic of like comforting each other and we went towards let's do something about this let's have political aims and at that point the structurelessness that had been there started to be exposed as as problematic and or tyrannical in a way and it became tyrannical on two levels because power still exists and so power either existed in the hands of charismatic people which i think she called stars so that is someone just by virtue of their own charisma is able to hold power in a structureless environment because they're charming and they're able to find their way and and exert a kind of over more power than than someone who isn't as charismatic although charisma is absolutely no measure of whether someone should have power and so stars is one kind of way and the other is elites uh, or cliques that is, I'm your mate, you're my mate. That means we have a kind of uh, relational, we're not just in contact in this group we're part of, we're also contact out of this group. And that means we can exert an, over, an oversized influence on the group because there's a load of us or there's some of us. So that means you might have a, I don't know, she talked about with the women's movement and she was saying, you know, there might be a little friendship group who always back each other up in every situation, in every group conversation, which kind of creates momentum towards towards them. And, and you can't, and the thing about an elite is you can't get into it because it's relational and it's, it's inherently a bit like that. And so I think, you know, through the Borough Common, without going into details, we experienced times when that we had to, I guess, work through difficult things where, hang on, we'll, we'll, is this really structure, you know, is this really no hierarchy at all? Or is it more like, oh no, power kind of exists here, but let's be aware of it. Let's be aware that, you know, the people who have been here a longer time do, do have an, an, a different kind of relationship with creating new possibilities or changing direction than people who have turned up once or twice. And so I think part of that she talked about and said, well, you need you do need structure for that. And I guess that's what you're, that's sort of what you said. But that she's, I just think that essay just keeps resonating with me because, you know, there's a lot of people trying to create uh, holacracy and organizations or talk about um, 
hierarchy as the complete enemy. And I've come to see hierarchy as like really friendly with collaboration. If it's done, there's a difference, I guess, between hierarchy and authoritarianism. And that I think is the, you know, that is almost like, is there manipulation and power? Um, uh, there is power. Is there, are people using power for their own benefit? Or are there clear hierarchies in which it's clear what you would do to move through that or what, you know, a role, there's a role rather than a person who's, you yeah. know, the arbitrator of like, I guess that's where we started. And I guess there's a, in this question of hierarchies, because it is, oh, hierarchies are, uh, hierarchy is always bad. It's like, well, look, if you've got a band in a studio, you know, inside that band, there's probably going to be a hierarchy, songwriter versus someone else. And then the other people in the room, you know, there'll be the, the intern who's sort of essentially slave labor because they desperately want to get in the music industry. There's going to be the sound engineer. There's going to be, it's like, well, they've got, a, then there's going to be the producer. They've all got different levels of input. Is that the intern's not going to say that is bullshit. Please change it. It would be lunacy, like in a hospital. It's not like everyone has the same uh, input. There are, it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be a, a bad thing. And there are, and there are lots of situations where it's essential. So let's, let's stop seeing it as something which is totally toxic, but instead learn to work with it in a really healthy way and uh, be aware of its dangers. Yeah, I, I also think it's kind of, you know, in organisations, I talk about collaboration, but I'm always talk. I'm, I mean, most of the organisations that I'm talking about are hierarchical organisations. So I'm talking about how do you create collaborative endeavours or groups in which there's genuine collaboration happening, but they're, they're almost always happening within a hierarchical structure. And so I think it's really, you know, you, I think you, and also you need to, if you want something to happen, someone needs to own it. And that ownership has a sign, but, but there's also, it's not a power. It doesn't have to be a power over. It can be a power for, or a power with some, you know, there's, um, I can't remember who, there's a feminist writer who writes about the distinctions between power over power with, and kind of like power inside or, or empowerment. Mm. And, and basically you're, you're you trying to minimize say empowerment power. nowadays, Richard, you're not giving me power. They already have power. Power from within uh -oh. then, that's what I mean. But, <laughs> but if you think of power in these three ways, yeah. right? Power over someone, power with, or power to collect together and power from within, the bit that we're trying to minimize is power over. That doesn't mean that people can't have different roles or it doesn't mean there's a difference between the intern not having input on songwriting than there is on the band member owning the intern's whole life making them do whatever they want, which has happened in the music industry and is not good, right? And that would be power over, whereas power with would be, wow, you're an intern, this is your role, this is what you're bringing, that's really valuable to this endeavor. We need you, we respect you as a human, and we understand that you have your own sense of power, volition, you wanna be making some sort of choices and you can, in community, you know, that's one of the things that happens in communities where there are kind of roles that you can take on come with some kind of responsibility and that one of the great things about a system like a church is is you can have alternative status status exists out in the world and sometimes we're not we're not where we want to be with that status that's out there in the world you know and that can be 
difficult or or it just can be you know we might not have the job that we want or we might not have these kind of things and sometimes within things like churches or boat clubs there can be other routes to status that aren't like that aren't that there's like i'm an important person i make this thing happen and it's good and i feel proud of it i am proud of what i'm making even though you know i've got a complicated relationship with my work and actually i don't feel very empowered there and i don't so sometimes I think it's these non-commercial spaces where there's an opportunity to actually do something with other people that's that you believe in and that you value is a great thing for humans. Vo- volunteering, but not just for the sake of the others, but actually to take up space in a place and bring something about in the world is, I mean, I do it. I volunteer at things because I, I'm like, oh, this is good. This feels good. This is something I can take on. I get to feel good about myself in this particular arena. I don't know where we ended up here, but. No, there is a great place to end up. I always love it when there's a, the boat club. Uh, it was church or boat, boat club. club. It's all about. It's a bit like church he, or boat club. He or, or boat she. Club. <laughs> he or a boat club. The funny thing is, I'd, I've never been part of a boat club, and I've absolutely no idea how a boat club would work. It sounds like you are totally obsessed. People think that people are now picturing you in sort of yacht in deck shoes. Uh, yeah. yeah, little. I think wearing... I could go boating in this shirt. I could go boating in this shirt. Maybe pop another couple of polos underneath and see <laughs> see if you can really ramp it up. Rich, thanks so much. I am so glad that you were able to. Uh, come on again and to go and purify, uh, to distill uh, the uh, essence of our conversation last time, but then to add even more to it, like a heady cocktail. So thanks so much. It is uh, really, really glad that you were able to give your time. Thanks, Sardison. Good conversation. So as regular listeners know, uh, the uh, yeah, this is just a bit of the podcast. I'd like to do a bit of an update of where we are in the Lifefulness Project. And today I'm feeling a lot better than I did last week. Last week I was in the middle of a mental health messiness. The human head is such a strange place. It can be your greatest friend and then it can sometimes really go and trip you up and... Like I said last week, there's still haven't yet really come to terms with like being in the caring profession whilst also having my own mental health challenges. This is something super embarrassing, but it genuinely gives me strength is that I'll Google like doctors, mental health, uh, priests, mental ill health. Like I literally have taken comfort by looking at the suicide rates of vicars and pastors and imams just to know that it's all right to not be okay sometimes uh when you're doing this work uh don't worry that is not where i am mentally and you know there's no gloating involved i I realize that this story does not it's not something which makes me sound great but uh yeah i am feeling very excited because i sort of cancelled a few things and also I cancelled one thing that I was just so pumped about, but I realised that I, I sometimes go into new things as an avoidance strategy if like, I'm not feeling satisfied with things that I'm already doing and it's not healthy and it is like good to spot it. So the good thing is I'm just going to recommit to the stuff that I'm already doing because actually when, I'm, when I look at it as something which is really exciting, and I'm like, it's fucking great. I, I love 
like hosting the community. We've got another community conversation tonight. It's going to be wonderful to have people together from lots of different parts of the world talking. And it's amazing. But if I get in a slightly different track with my head, then I'll only think about the parts of it which aren't going as well as can be. And uh, that's sometimes connected to the things which my ADHD mind uh, has a tendency to find tricky. So anyway, that is what's going on for me. Uh, If you are interested in lifefulness and the lifefulness community, go and find the details on our site, lifefulness.io forward slash membership. And uh, thanks so much to James, my normal co-host, but he's not here today. He was unable to make it, but thanks to Mavs, wonderful producer and to Roman Rapak and Miroshot who made the music that you're listening to right now. <laughs>